Hi, I'm Emily Dixon. I'm this month's host of The Commentarians, and I'm here with Nathan and Mickey Underwood. And we're here to talk over your movie. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. We actually have Nathan and Mickey here with us this month, and those of y'all who are regular listeners know that Nathan is also a host, but this month we also have his wife with us, and because Nathan is technically the guest, he's got to pick out the movie for this month, <laughs> which was Gattaca, and I have never got a chance to see this before, and I'm actually going to skip a lot of the stuff I do with my other guests and, you know, don't tell me what makes you tick. I know what makes you tick. Um, Anyone who listens to this yes. regularly knows who Comic I am. Comic books and sci-fi and Bible stuff makes you tick. Um, uh, Mickey. Roughly, yeah. yeah. Well, and Mickey, who is also here with us. So, um, well, Mickey's also a guest. She She's is. not any less a guest than I no, am. No, that's the reason why I was going to ask what made her tick and made her, you know. Oh, I get ignored because yeah, I'm a regular. Precisely. Yep. Okay. I'm on board with that. Yeah. So, Mickey, give us a little, um, who is Mickey Underwood aside from, you know, just being Nathan's wife? Because I know that's like just a Just his wife. Yeah, just his wife. I know. It's a big job in itself. Right? <laughs> it's important to me. <laughs> it's important to me, too. Um, other than being Nathan's wife, I'm the mother of our children, I guess. Well, yes, our children. That's also a big job. That's also a very big job. <laughs> Couldn't do it um, without you. I did so, it for like three days last week and I'm worn out. And we're so. for, we are grateful and ready for it to happen again soon. <laughs> I'm going to need some recovery time. But so continue. I love being a mom to our two crazy wild girls. Um, and I would say probably the thing that most makes me tick would be I'm a music teacher. I teach um, kindergarten through eighth grade general music with an emphasis on world music at a little private school that um, I love. Um, best teaching job I've had ever. And I also teach uh, 10 piano students currently um, after school hours in my private piano studio. And that's what I get excited talking about for the most part. And you do like crazy things with your students because I mean, like I'd never heard of a marumba before. It's a marimba. Uh, see, I can't even say it correctly. <laughs> okay. But I know what they are because I've moved them for you a few yeah, times yes. now. And yeah. for anyone out there listening, I am the guest, but I would not correct any other host quite that way because <laughs> Emily is my sister. <laughs> we don't admit that in public. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, but no, you do crazy things with your students. And this isn't like the music class I had when I was in <laughs> elementary school. You actually teach your kids real music and... I think that's so cool because I've got to hear some of the recordings. I haven't been to one of the performances, but you're doing like crazy train with them on these <laughs> huge wooden xylophones, yeah. essentially. Yeah, it, it kind of became a tradition. Um, well, 
what my first middle school class, they were then sixth graders. They've now graduated and are headed to high school. Um, but they had requested that we could asked if we could do the Super Mario theme song on marimbas. So I was like, oh, I'll look into that. So one night, Nathan and I were like, I think it was it was New Year's Eve and our youngins were really young. Mm. And so after they went to bed, we had like the little xylophones out and we arranged like four super, no, four video game theme yeah. songs. And predominantly Nintendo, we did, um, we did, we did, uh, the Lost Woods theme from Zelda, uh, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong, the, the Russian theme from Tetris mm-hmm. and Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. We, we arranged those yeah. on the. And so it kind of became a tradition that I would arrange something for the sixth grade, every sixth grade class. And they got to kind of put their um, their vote in. And Crazy Train was the vote for one of the classes. And it was pretty fun and i never i i don't think i respected um ozzy and well his musicians and and writers randy rhodes really was the guy really responsible for a lot of the guitar work yeah until i started breaking this song down to put it on marimbas and i was like that is like crazy hard but but it was really fun. So, so so as everybody listening who's listened to us either here on the commentaries or faith and other oddities uh, y'all can see that Mickey fits right in. She's got like the crazy, weird, eclectic side, <laughs> but she also has this very meticulous, weird mind that, that is able to take Ozzy and translate it. And that's part of the reason why she fits in with the family so well. Uh, not that that's any sort of indictment, but um, oh anyhow. Or endorsement, necessarily. <laughs> I don't know. But. But it is. It is. It. It. Well. Yeah. It's. It probably is an endorsement. I, <laughs> I better say it, things like that, right? Yeah. You need to be like super positive. I can, as the big sister, I can actually say, yeah, you you lucked out. So I, I really, did, I really did. And and on top of all that, she's agreed to stay up with us past bedtime to watch Gattaca. Yes. Okay. So why did y'all guys choose Gattaca? Because both of y'all were on board for this movie, and I had never seen it before. Well, this has been one of my favorites for years. I don't think I've actually seen it since shortly after it came out. Um, but I think I watched it. I may have even watched it in a college course that I took um, in undergrad because I remember watching it around the same time as I read um, Brave New World. Uh, and so I think it was a, a class on like technology. I don't know if it's technology and religion or philosophy of technology or something like that. Um, but it just kind of got me thinking along those lines and those two kind of fit together for me and just, you know, like there's pros and cons to everything. And it just really gets you asking questions about, you know, where are we going? Where should we be going? I think the movie does that very well. And so, and I don't want to spend too much more time, you know, just chatting because we do have a whole movie to watch. So I think probably what we need to do is go ahead and jump into the movie, save the conversation for while we're going through the movie. And uh, if you're new to the commentarians, then what you need to know is we're going to watch this movie together and I'm getting ready to do a countdown. I'll do a three, two, one play. And when we say play, then if you're wanting to watch the movie with us, hit play with us and you can follow along. You do not need to do this to stay up with the conversation. Uh, I'm anticipating a really great conversation. And um, 
I'm going to actually have my tech guy on this one this time, since Nathan's here, to hit play for us. That means I'm holding the remote. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that sound great, though? <laughs> my tech guy. So yeah. um, Let if, me get it to zero. We'll get it going. <laughs> so if you're getting ready to uh, watch the movie with us, that you want to uh, have it queued up and three, two, one, play. Okay, so we're starting and... You should see a burst of light if you're watching while we're watching. <laughs> and let now, there be light. Now, I will say there, there, are several, there are several different versions of this, actually. There's a director's cut. You can find a few different varieties. Which one are we watching? I think we're is... watching the theatrical, theatrical release. Okay, because this is y'all's personal copy from your library. Yes. And um, I love to start out with a couple of really good quotes here. Um, of course, from Ecclesiastes. And then uh, this cl- quote from uh, William, uh, sorry, Willard, Willard Galen. Galen. Where uh, it talks about not only can we manipulate what nature has done, Mother Nature wants us to do it. So I kind of find that interesting. And I'm just going to... Oh. I'm also going to point out that this visual right here has a lot of significance. Yes. If you don't realize what it is. So anyway, keep going. Uh, well, yeah. So if, you, if you're not quite sure what's going on here, what you're seeing here is fingernail clippings. And then these uh, large cables that fall are hairs um, that are falling down. So um, but anyway, no, the we start out talking about Mother Nature wants us to tamper with what's going on. And I think that's kind of been the idea since, like, Darwinian thought, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm going to put this out here um, as kind of piggyback on what Joe was talking about last month with the idea of if there's a God, then we have a basis for, mora- for morality. If there's Correct. not, then we just have opinions about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, really, whenever we start to look at it, um, you know, there, there are... They're ants who farm certain types of aphids at well of aphids and wasps and things for their own enjoyment. Um, they, they, they farm these things and it's basically they manipulate their environment. And so when you think about it, ultimately, and I'm just going to throw this out here to begin with, and we'll probably abandon this idea for a while. <laughs> if there is no God, we're just ants mucking about with what's going on with us yeah and where do we draw you know where do we find our distinction is really a better way to say it yeah and and, and so yeah that sounds that sounds better than mucking about <laughs> <laughs> occasionally i can do that <laughs> so um but i'm gonna throw that out there and we'll let's let's let that be for now but i just i wanted to put that out there at the beginning because of that quote about mother nature wants us to to do that because when i think of like mother nature wants us to to mess with our environment wants us to mess with our circumstances that's what i think of i hadn't actually put it in that context and we're starting out we've got ethan hawk um who pretty much was not widely known whenever he recorded this or, or filmed this and and we really don't know what's going on because i he's hooking up a, a what looks like to be a catheter bag to his leg, but it's full. Uh, there's been vials of blood and we're, we're getting this imagery of him uh, filling up something with blood. I, it, you really begin the show kind of 
off kilter and wondering where you are and what's going on. Yeah, well, what I like about this movie is a lot of movies start you with, here's the premise of what's going on. And they kind of start you on that. This movie kind of starts you out, you're, you're just in a bunch of images and you're like, well, here I am. What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned this last night was the, the way it's filmed that it's really hard to put a timestamp on this movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually think that's one of the reasons why I could watch it in 2019 and enjoy it because it was re- released in 1997. So, um, but it doesn't feel like it was released in 1997. It feels like it could have been released 20 years before or after without any problem. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I will say, the only thing that kind of gives it away is the way the, the cameras are handled. There are some, there's the way the cameras are handled kind of dates it a bit, but you have to be like watching really, really close to see that. Yeah. So, but you, you, you didn't ask me why I wanted <laughs> to do this movie. So Nathan, please tell us, why did you think this was the correct <laughs> I just, movie I for the to pipe up. I felt a little left out. Um, but I like this movie for many reasons. And number one is I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Right. Um, but the other I thing... I thought that was a given. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I really do love about this movie is, and I'm, and I'm telling you this to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, is there are things about this that read, or I say read, because it feels like you would read like some 1930s, 1950s science fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes it timeless Mm -hmm. in the way that it shot. And And that was very intentional from what I read. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And because when you think about, uh, you know, things like Star Trek, where you have technology. I was actually listening to an episode of Mission Log recently and they were talking about this song that someone was playing and the computer identified in the, in, in the course of the plot. It's like the computer identified the song this person was playing. And of course, you know, this was in 19. It was Deep Space Nine. So, was, you know, this recorded in the 90s. And like, well, of course, it's very convenient that the computer could just ad- identify this. But now we've got cell phones that can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we just. I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like all the time. I have a computer identify a song that I don't know. And so I think it was a very smart move to not try to dial up the um, the technology in a way that was concrete. Other than we know that. These snap. Like DNA. uh readings can yeah. go on but we don't we don't have like a a full concrete idea of the the way the technology works well it allows us to focus i think on the dna aspect so which, which is central to the mm-hmm. plot and actually the scene here where we've got uh he's just offered up a, a urine sample and he's got got this little bit good of um they're having this conversation and there's a little back and forth between the, the technician and our main character, Ethan Hawke, um, whose name is kind of, you know, Vincent or Jerome. Depending on where you are. Exactly. And, um, spoilers. You, yes. <laughs> and you, you get this idea, uh, that this guy kind of, 
knows a little bit of something that he's not willing to commit to. And we actually find out later that definitely uh, he does know more. Yeah. Great colors in that shot, by the way. It's uh, it's an obvious green screen, but it's made to look just I mean, it's made to look like something out of a of a early comic book. Right. Well, and the architecture is um, based on Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, it was actually the outside scenes were um, filmed outside of one of his buildings. And so they've even carried a lot of his very popular color palettes throughout the, the interior scenes here. And uh, you, know, you talked about Star Trek. You can even see some of that wonderful honeycomb kind of metalwork in the mm-hmm, back, mm-hmm. background of some of this. And definitely not something that... Um, it's not too shiny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very bright, but it's not too shiny, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. So how you doing, Mick? I'm good. I, I'm being a silent observer till I have something poignant to say. Okay. Well, you, you just got to jump in over the top <laughs> of us. I learned that early on with your family. <laughs> so... It's really interesting because we start out like not knowing what's going on and then we're dropped into like a further mystery, like barely into this film at all. And there's a murder. And here's your favorite line. (laughs) This is a really good line. Okay, when I say this is a good line, mom laughed at this line. Like our mom (laughs) laughed at this line. That's saying something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the, the whole like. I was conceived in the Riviera, not the French Riviera, but the Detroit variety. Our mom laughed out loud at that line. I missed that. Yeah. Now we do get this little nod to religion here. Uh, we get a couple of times throughout the movie and that his mom actually put his, her faith in God so that she could have a child who was unaltered, uh, not genetically programmed to be the biggest, the best and the smartest, mm-hmm. but just a child. And all of the the risk and the you know, all the fears that come with having a child. Yeah. Well, the three of us are parents, mm-hmm. and that's a very real thing. And and especially, I mean, just coming from our background, I mm-hmm. don't know how much of this we want to share on air, <laughs> but you know, we we know what it's like to have a sibling who has special needs, mm-hmm. and. So there is, I mean, I can imagine even with people who, who have grown up with uh, brothers and sisters who are healthy, that there's still probably that fear regardless going in of, of there's something, what if, what if there's something wrong with my kid? What mm-hmm. if I'm doing something wrong that, you know, what if I mess up my baby while it's gestating? You know, there's, and, and, and I'm saying that from an outside source. Mm-hmm. I don't know as as someone who carries children, obviously, um, but it, it's there's kind of that like there, there's that question of is my kid going to be OK? Well, and I, I, you know, I know I faced it when I was pregnant and wondering, yeah, the same things. And we just uh, passed the scene where the, the, the door to the school is closed in their face because the school cannot afford the liability of having. Uh, a child who's not genetically modified. Right. And so he's been rejected. And now the parents are getting ready to have the second child and they're being asked, what do they want? And 
Now, I I do appreciate the irony. I, this had to have been a deliberate casting choice. Absolutely. Because here you have a black man talking. Blair Underwood. Yeah. And, and he is talking about all the things that they can weed out. And he talk, he mentions pigmentation. Yeah. Hazel eyes, dark hair, and fair skin. Yeah. And, and he it, says it with a smile because it's, um, you can. It, well, you, and you saw it was an uncomfortable smile. It was uh-huh. a deliberately uncomfortable smile. It's kind of like a, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. This is what you picked. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you don't, it's not, it's not directed head on in the movie but i mean you definitely see that they're they're making allusions to uh the you know the the eugenics programs that even went on under hitler well and, and that was the thing too uh we got a couple of things going on i want to address here because number one they they say hey we want to leave some things up to fate they don't want to actually you know give him genes for being you know more musically inclined or uh smarter they just want to weed out the disease. They don't necessarily want to give him advantages. They want to give him to keep him from being disadvantaged. Yeah. And so there's that debate with the parents. And then um, uh, Blair Underwood's character says, you know, we already have enough flaws already built in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, where is that line? When do we cross over from I'm helping my child with an advantage versus helping them by not being disadvantaged? Uh, is there a clear cut way to, to define that? Uh, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, as an artist, I would think an advantage for my child that for my children would be that they'd be artistically inclined. Uh, somebody who might come from an engineering background might say that it would be that they have mathematical skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we determine that? Uh, the other thing I was going to put out, cause you brought up Hitler was actually in the early 1900s. There was a, a, bunch of movies around this this plot around this idea of uh, eugenics and um, genetic engineering and they became very popular but then of course with world war ii then they began to fall out of favor Mm. and so it was wasn't really until the 60s and 70s we started to see it picking up very slowly and this was probably one of the first movies that hit this particular issue head on Right. I mean, yeah, especially like in the 90s, because it wasn't as big a deal. Now, you did see and it was kind of funny is. um, say, Are you OK? <laughs> you looked at me like I have I have some thoughts. But oh, go ahead. Go, well, I was going to say, you know, I was going to say, because we do see a lot of issues like this coming to the forefront in comics mm-hmm. before they often come to movies. And so it's funny to me because during the stuff with Hitler, we also saw Captain America and mm-hmm. other people coming to the forefront um and not not in a comedic way right but as a way to um say you know captain america was made to be like the best of the best and was genetically modified mm. and to say that you know well if there was someone who was genetically modified and who or who was genetically selected he wouldn't be as evil as hitler and so it's kind of a, it's a very interesting statement. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you had something to say, Mick? Well, I was just thinking, you know, where Emily was saying, like, where do you draw the line? Um, like, even when I was pregnant with, I think it was uh, with our first. I'm not sure if they asked with the, the second. They were asking, you know, about different genetic tests and just to, you know, checking the all sorts of different things while I was pregnant. And, you know, my first thought was. Why? Why? Why do we need to know? I know I'm having this child, you mm. know, 
And I'm not going to change my mind about that. But then, you know, just thinking, well, if there is something going on, we can be prepared for it and we can, you know, provide the best delivery mm -hmm. and the best resources and the, you know, best life going forward. But that's my mindset. You know, they're like looking at this movie, you can see not everyone has that mindset. You know, you you do want to, you know, you some would want to take away any chance of that, of, of a disease or of a disadvantage. And it, I don't, I don't know where you would draw the line. Like if that was the norm in society or the norm in technology, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. If everybody else is enhanced, then is being unenhanced automatically a disability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the question that this kind of, this movie asks. Mm -hmm. And the other thought that 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 put me on the the thought of, you know, parenting, like even if your your child or your children are all enhanced and have no disabilities, have every advantage, but then there's still the the nurture aspect of it, you know, and like what I've heard, you know, I've been a teacher for 14 years now. And um, even in the time since I student taught, parenting has shifted a little bit, the philosophies of parenting. Mm -hmm. And um, like for a, a while there, there was a, you know, people talked about helicopter parents, you mm -hmm. know, how they would come in and bring the homework that they had forgotten at home. And um, they would swoop in to save them from, you know, any issues or problems. But now the, the, the new one is, um, uh, snowplow moms. Oh, I haven't who, heard this one. Yeah. And so they like make the road smooth. So there are no problems. They don't even have to swoop in. So there may, oh, wow. you know, so it's, it's like, even if, if like genetically they're predisposed for complete success, there's still envir environmental factors and there's still, you know, you can see in this movie, even the, the right, well, the scene right here, even the brother that um was more advantaged he didn't make it you know the the right. the the less advantaged brother had to pull him back to shore you know and so i think i mean yes there's the question of the science and the technology behind the physical aspect but then you still have that question of how much advantage do you give them here how much you know bumps how many bumps in the road do you take out you know well and, and do those bumps in the road help someone actually work and strive to be more mm -hmm. well yeah and mm -hmm. that's and that's exactly the question is is it are you providing more comfort and more ease or are you helping me better mm -hmm. right and what's actually better between those two well you know some <laughs> of the most successful people in the world had horrible childhoods and they, they overcame, they fought through to become more than what their background and what their uh, socioeconomic circumstance would have seemed to define them as. Right. And this is the real question with this movie. Um, genetic determinism is, is one word I heard used for it. Um, you know, do genes really determine who we are, all that we can be? Yeah, genetic uh, prophecy was the other yeah, term you ran across. That was the other one. I thought that was very interesting that we bring this very theological term into a very scientific argument. Uh, can we escape our genes? 
are are the genes the final word in who we are? Well, that that's actually like a big debate. I mean, not just I mean, I know it's a big debate in Christian circles between like Calvinist, Arminianism, Arminianism, and traditionalist and traditionalist and you know just all, all the stuff we can talk about with that but it, it's actually like it's it's interesting to me that it's a big debate even outside of christian circles uh, well because uh, there is a a certain thought there's a there's a school of thought that we are just the result of a chain reaction and all of our actions are just the result of of little bit of jelly responding to <laughs> You know, a little bit of jelly that floats around inside of our skull responding to stimuli. Right. And we don't actually have any control. Yeah, we don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's one of the interesting things that if you'll notice, and we actually took time, we were looking at this earlier today. Um, we, we looked up the names of the um, main characters and, you know, the main character here, Vincent, we're watching him, you know, pretend to be at the computer and working. I means Victor. And then we have, uh, what, uh, Jerome, who, uh, what was it? Vic, what was it? Victor. Jerome means sacred. Sacred. And then Anton. And Victor, w- Vincent means he who conquers. Yeah. Or Victor. And yeah. then, um, Anton was, uh. Uh, valuable valuable priceless priceless that's priceless so the 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 characters are even um very very carefully named because vincent isn't just vincent he's vincent freeman the victorious free man Mm -hmm. uh and so we're we get to see that he you know spoiler alert uh (laughs) he's free of of his genetics and um but the other thing I picked up on this, he has a clear cut vision of where he wants to go. Yeah. He is so focused. And even later, there's going to be a scene between him and Uma Thurman where um, every time there's a launch, he's looking up to the sky. He's always watching the launch and he's waiting to see what's going to happen. And what an, you, that's, theologically correct if you've got that vision that vision will take you where you need to be it'll Mm -hmm. give you the discipline like here he's doing the the pull-ups or the the upside down setups whatever these things are called i i I don't (laughs) even torture yes (laughs) trying to to get himself into peak physical condition so that he can um pursue this vision and that's what vision does. And I, I think that's one of the things that we kind of lost uh, in a lot of society today is we don't have the vision. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it really is. There's, excuse me, um, the the idea that like people like, uh, not Anton, because that's his brother. Uh, Jerome. Jerome. The, the you know, because he's Vincent and Jerome, who later we call Eugene, uh, mm-hmm. just for clarification in the script, apparently. Jude Law. Jude Law. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this idea that people like Jude Law have so many options. Right. And it is kind of that, um, choice paralysis thing. Right. That there's, there's so many options to, to the non-specialist, but he had something, you know, Vincent had something early on that was beyond it captured, it captured it, his imagination. Yeah, and, and, and that drove him. And so the thing that drives him 
really became just astounding. And and that's what made him him move forward. Okay, props to the makeup and um, the costuming people here. Because if you just saw that picture of Ethan Hawke, he looks so geeky. (laughs) He looks so awkward. And... The first time you appeared on camera like that, I didn't recognize that it was actually him. I thought it was another actor playing a younger version of the character. I, I did, too. I did, too. And it's it's amazing what they were able to accomplish. I mean, and, and Ethan Hawke, you get to see his ability as an actor because he totally changes the way he presents himself. Uh, here, he you, you can see the the chin drawn back the shoulders forward he he looks as awkward as anybody you've ever met and now we meet jerome the the real jerome yeah and i love that his appearance and also you see it throughout the movie but i love that his first appearance is he's in front of a helix that spiral staircase and this was very deliberate oh uh, oh no doubt yeah the 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 shots in this the the and there's it's very interesting because there's some shots that are 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 just framed up in such a way that they're intentionally made to make you feel uncomfortable. It, absolutely. And by the way, this was Jude Law's first American film. Really? Yeah. Before, I hadn't realized that. Before this, he was only in European and British films. So um, the the part was actually rewritten to uh, reflect his accent and his cadence. Because before this, it was not written for a British actor. Hmm. So uh, they had to add some more smug <laughs> look, dark and brooding. Well, I mean, I, I'm not saying that because he's British, but 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 because Jude Law is like is Jude he Law. Could, well, he could he could. <laughs> I don't know how he is in l- real life. I mean, if I mean, I'm sure if he wanted to come over for dinner, if we'd hang out, you know, I'd give him a shot. You know, I but, would. But <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. But, you know, I'd, you know, to hang out. But uh, he might not actually be smug, smug in person, but he can do it on screen. I say, yeah, he does smug very well on screen. <laughs> I'm trying not to insult actors because, you know, we might actually run into one. Well, one day. The, the character is not the actor. And I, I think, you know, we know that. Well, we know that. <laughs> and I hope that our audience remembers that. Uh, you know, it's actually what's really fun is uh, I've been listening to uh, David, Ten- David Tennant does a podcast with. It's a another show. And two things. Uh, one, he did an interview with uh, uh, John Hamm, who, who plays Don Draper on Mad, on Men. Mad Men. Yes, excellent show. And uh, Don Draper talks about uh, when he did SNL, the people were like, oh, this is, they, they wrote a bit for him. They thought that he would like. He's like, I don't know. It's, it's okay. He's like, oh, so Don Draper really is just a character that you put on. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's called acting. <laughs> and and so and, and another one I can't remember the name of the guy he was it was the guy from who was the guy from Into the Woods um um who which, played the baker the baker uh James Corden, Corden. yes that oh. guy uh, he was talking about how he he's like I never get with starstruck around actors because I've done acting he goes he goes I know it looks really cool on he goes I know it looks really cool on screen he goes but I know that you know you're spending half your day in a caravan. Uh, which is what the British mm-hmm. call, you know, like RVs. A trailer. Or, yeah, trailer. Yeah. Mobile, you know. What uh, I live in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but they call them caravans, but that's what he says. You know, you're just spending half your day waiting for someone to call you out of your caravan to tell you to do the thing you're supposed to do. And he goes, and on that side, it's not actually very glamorous. 
And we know you're not used to doing things that are terribly gl- glamorous all the time. Like most people assume. He goes, I just, he goes, I've seen too much of it. And so I thought that was pretty fun. I say real quick, we got this great shot of Ethan Hawke going here with his legs in these uh, contraptions, for lack of a better word, where they have lengthened his legs in order to bring him to that 6'1 height so he could match mm-hmm. Jude Law or Jerome's height. Uh, and in real life, both actors are 5'11", so they didn't have to do this. Uh, but Jude Law is never out of his wheelchair um, or standing, I should say, actually. Uh, so we never get to see that. But, you know, we were watching this last night in preparation because I hadn't seen it. And one of the things I was struck by, you know, most of us give up a dream or a hope so quick the first time we encounter some some discomfort and this guy literally had his bones sawed in half. And then four of them, four of them. And so that he could chase this dream. That's some major commitment. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we talk about, oh, I love God and I love Jesus and I'll go wherever he calls me to. And then the minute things get uncomfortable, we stop. And I was really just last night, I was struck by that, that, I mean, how many of us are willing to deal with, you know, a lack of sleep or delays in meals uh, and in pursuit of what God's called us to, and then to be confronted by this image? And yeah, I know it's fictional, but there's a lot of believers who've gone through a lot worse than even this yeah. in order to be what God's called them to be. And, and, but that's the power of a vision. And mm-hmm. I think most of us as believers, we've, we've never gotten that vision. And then there's this wonderful conversation between the two of them where, again, looking up, looking at the stars, because that's where um, Victor, uh, Vincent. Vincent wants to be. Yes. So. The guy on the right. The guy on the right. Who, and this is the conversation where actually Jude Law's character, Jerome, the, the real Jerome, Asked to be called Eugene, which is a nice little reminder that we're talking about eugenics. Right. So uh, very intentional in the naming again. So going uh, back to that last scene, um, Jude Law's character holds up his silver medal from, I guess, was it the Olympics or whatever? mm -hmm. And uh, he said, even with all I had going for me, I was still second best you know i was never meant to be one step down on the podium and so it goes back to that you know even if right you modify everything there's no guarantees and it makes me just wonder you know like do they just rest on their rest on their laurels right so how hard did they and, work well it, yeah well and here's yeah. The, here's the thing it's like it's the the person who's never failed mm-hmm. and so when when there is failure, and I'm you know I hate to ruin the rest of the film for anyone, but I don't know why that why you'd listen to this the first time watching. Um, but you know when he talks later on about he stepped out intentionally in front of that car mm-hmm. because he came in second place. You got to imagine if that's the first time you've failed at a world class like competition, the first time you failed, that's a huge failure, right? But if you don't have those little failures, and I think this is kind of piggybacks on what you're saying, Mick, is that 
Like if you don't have those little failures to build you up, to find your worth in something other than being the best, mm-hmm. um, then, then you will be just traumatized when you're not first place. Mm-hmm. Well, and Nathan, you and I, we, we've talked about this before. The people who everything comes so easy to, and, and you know, in the music industry, the people who have just sheer talent, they're just born with that unique mm-hmm. innate gifting and, but don't have the drive to pursue it and right. how they, they never make it. Mm-hmm. It's, and you know, we've got a long list of musical um, superstars for lack of a better term that really aren't all that talented or even all that great. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name names. I mean, cause they're, they're all over the place, but whose, <laughs> whose passion and drive brought them to this place of recognition and whose work, I mean, honestly, most of them I do appreciate, Yeah, but uh, it's not a matter of talent. Well, it's like, uh, it's, uh, Jerry Seinfeld mm -hmm. had a, I love how when I pause for just a second, both of you like, look at me like, where are you going with this? (laughs) Um, but we don't know what you're going to say. Well, I don't either. Most of the time, but we know that Jerry Seinfeld, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> comedians in cars getting coffee um he was he he was getting coffee with a comedian obviously because that's the, in a car that's the point of the show <laughs> i can't remember who it was he was with but he was talking about how you have to get out and you have to work there's not going to be anyone who comes from the talent agency is like oh we 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 heard you had talent and <laughs> right. we've come to take you away and put you into show business even like, though you've never done a single set. Yeah. His <laughs> talent is, is just a small part of it. It's getting out there and, and putting in the work. Okay. And, and, and I will say, like, I'm, I'm a good musician, and I, I had a lot of natural music ability, but I never really understood the putting in the work to mm-hmm. become, to, to, to market and to, to make myself better and, you know, all these things. And I wish I had learned that earlier because, you know, I might actually be able to live off of music. But at the same time, it's just I didn't I didn't have that background. We didn't even and, know it was a possibility. Yeah. That was and just so, right so there. I get that where there is that whole like, where does where does talent come in? Where does hard work come in? And and the thing is, I'm really good at working hard when I'm like clocked in and getting paid. Right. But. I never thought to apply that to like making music like a second job to perfect that. Well, uh, yeah. And then we could get into this whole thing about where we don't do things for on our own for ourselves. And that would seem to be selfish. Yeah. And but, I want to know what that keyboard's made out of. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. That's the, a strong keyboard. Well, I actually wanted to go back to the previous scene where Jude Law is like um, Jerome is or Eugene, depending on who you want, you know, whoever calling Let's it. Let's just call him Jude. Uh, he he's like preparing all of the the skin flakes and the nail clippings and the hair and the blood and the urine to make sure that uh, uh, Ethan Hawke's character can actually pass all of these random genetic tests. And you see him working at that and it's like he has a purpose now and the purpose is actually to sell his identity to another person but he he's working at it and he's good at it mm-hmm. and i i thought that was very interesting but in the middle of all of that ethan hawk's character is you know he's narrating if you haven't seen the movie yet 
Um, Ethan Hawke narrates a large portion of this and he's beginning to understand you. He'd always felt disadvantaged because he was the kid who was broken. He was the kid who wasn't enough. And now he's realizing that the people who were supposed to have enough, there's a different sort of pressure on them. Mm -hmm. And, And I thought that was a good little kind of juxtaposition that, no matter who you are, there's always going to be some kind of pressure on you that you're never going to measure up. And even if you think the other, the other segment of society has it good, you just don't understand what they're going through. And I think that was, it was good because we don't have that us versus them a dichotomy in this movie so concretely that you kind of lose perspective of the individual struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it's it's presented well in such a way that it does it doesn't feel heavy handed. It doesn't it doesn't feel like you've picked a side. Even by the end of the movie, um, where so many films are so ham fisted in the way they present their message that you feel like, oh, I understand who everyone in this movie, and I've already picked my side before we even start the story. They don't sermonize in it, not one bit. No, I I love the, in yeah. spite of having a narrator. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, Ethan Hawke, it, it, his character provides what he's going through, and I and so that I think that is very forefront and front and center for the viewer to actually look at the movie from his perspective. But Jude Law does such a great job of being unlikable, but so sympathetic in the same breath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's that tension that his character creates, and here they're. They're actually going out together and uh, you, you kind of get to see what a pompous little brat he is in the way he uh, Jude Law this is uh, in how he. Yeah, but you also see, I mean, you even see kind of uh, Ethan Hawke's character. You see Vincent kind of pushing back at like figuratively to like literally too, like as you kind of like shoot him out of the way mm-hmm. uh, as he's talking to the lady at the club there. Now, this is an interesting aspect uh we've got a girl coming up to a dna window uh that she's kissed a guy and they're swabbing her lips and she's wanting to know who is this guy she just kissed and is he worthy of her pursuit and interest okay now that's an interesting uh the way you said that kind of just <laughs> sparked something is that a commentary on the way that we tend to view sexuality or society at large tends to use sexuality and you know it's like the you know the sex used to be farther on in the relationship you would hope and it would be it would be more like you know for lack of better term kind of climactic to <laughs> double the, entendre there yeah, i couldn't I, i'm out of words on that but you know it, it, it was something that the relationship builds to and now it's so something that's supposed to be casual and now you have people wondering, well, who did I just sleep with? Yeah, but the thing is, she's not. Is she interested in him or is she just interested in his genetic advantages? Right. Well, are the people who. You know, are the people, you know, it's like it's the sugar daddy kind of thing. Well, uh, are but, they interested? Are the people who are interested in sugar daddy, are they interested in that person? I'll take it up a notch from there because. Uh, we we know right now that women, when they're ovulating, are actually more interested in rugged, masculine men than when not. 
And so what are women looking for uh, to father in a man to father their children is and is that um, determined by our genetics? Is that determined by nurture? Uh, how instinctive is this? How cultural is this? And, and it goes right back to the questions that this movie is asking. The only difference is this movie says we might be able to control it where right now we're at the mercy of whatever mom and dad happen to throw out there. But the problem is this is not about <laughs> we're able to control it. This is about whoever coded you is able to control it. True. True. Yeah. We can't control it for ourselves, but we might be able to control it for our children. And are we... Which is, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? I, uh, not to play my hand too soon. <laughs> no, I mean... How many of us would really mess up our kids if we had the ability to all with all? I mean, okay. How many of us do mess up our kids without even trying? We don't even have this kind of technology at our our disposal when we mess up our kids. And my kids are grown, so I can say without even trying. No. Yeah, my kids are grown. I know what I did to them. Uh, So y'all guys are still waiting to find out how bad it's going to be. But, Our children are going to love us forever. A wing and a prayer. Wing and a prayer. We just have to find a wing now. I, I think this is an interesting uh, conversation here, too. Uh, yeah, we can tell we need a little bit more oh, uh, sleep. Uh, but Ethan Hawke actually points out that Jude Law should be the one going to Saturn, because that's the whole goal of Ethan Hawke's character is to get to Saturn. Mm-hmm. And he says, because up there, your legs wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. So basically what everybody perceives as being wrong with you, being broken in you, doesn't matter if you're where you belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I, I, and get, he doesn't get there. Yeah. And so. I, uh, something else, uh, just, just, just these small details that they, they include, but they don't draw a huge amount of attention to. Other than to put the camera on it for a couple seconds, the electric cars. Right. And the fact, the, the other thing, they're electric cars, but they look like classic they're cars. They're Studebakers. Uh, one of them, uh, uh, Jude Law's character has a Studebaker Avante. Uh, I forget what the other ones are, but they're, um, they, they are classic cars and they were real cars. You know, they are not stylized. They're just made to sound and look like electric cars. Mm-hmm. But they are actual functioning electric cars. So, and here we find out that uh, Jude Law's character did actually walk out in front of the, the car. We thought that uh, he was probably drunk because he's been drunk most of the movie. And we, no, he was not drunk. This was like a sober decision because he was tired of life. And this is the first hint that we get that he might actually be very self-destructive well and but they must not have found that in his genetic code our first hint that he (laughs) might be self-destructive other than the fact that he's drunk all the time and smokes like he's on fire well that i mean okay it's not our first hint it's our first blatant declaration that he is self-destructive yes Uh, but but we're gonna assume that smoking doesn't have any repercussions at this point and drinking isn't going to kill your liver at this point well if you don't have a predisposition for it you're gonna be fine well and and that's actually the thing that i do find interesting about it is the fact that 
we're all about peak physical condition in this time day and age. We're all about um the best of the best. But not everyone, but so many people in this movie smoke like it's the 1920s. Um <laughs> they they drink like it's prohibition era. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just incredible. Um just the stylistic choices. But I, I find that I, I find that to be very interesting that that's what's going on on screen. Even though everyone's about being healthy, everyone still smokes and drinks. Well, isn't it, that our desire as human beings well, that it, we could indulge in these it, sensual pleasures without exactly, any replication? Exactly. And so it is if, if the genetic predisposition to those things were taken away and we didn't have to worry about them, well, if we're not avoiding them because of consequences, why avoid them? Mm-hmm. And so... I think there is kind of that proclivity in us that if we could do anything without consequence, what would we do? I'm still wondering where all the surveillance cameras are. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, okay. So that's actually, um, that's actually one of the things they kind of allude to is the fact that they've become so secure in the genetic engineering that no one's going to commit a crime like this who actually has access to the building. And yes. so so you kind of have this idea even that the fact there's this brutal murder inside this location, that in itself is kind of freaking out these two detectives. Right. Well, and they find his DNA and it says his profile suggests that he, he's prone to violence. You know, uh, this idea that your DNA, which, you know, there, there is this theory out there, the warrior gene theory, that your DNA can tell you whether or not you're going to be prone to violence or not. And there's been discussion on whether we should screen for this. And Do you have DNA? It, you might be prone to violence, yeah. is my opinion. On that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I, the, the idea and the thing is, there was, and I can't remember, there was something else I was watching recently that, there was some crime that was pulled off, but it got it got pulled off because no one believed it was plausible. And that's kind of where this fits in from what I'm seeing here is no one actually thought it could happen. So that's how they got away with it. Well, and that's exactly what it comes down to is uh, Jerome is so highly respected and so revered because he has the correct genetic profile that no one's bothering to look at him. And, you know, if we take this to a modern day uh, scenario, uh, you know, he, if somebody looks right, their skin color's right, their uh, religion's right, then we don't look at them and consider them a suspect. And so we have to uh, take that into consideration. We also have this little flash of uh, Jerome's uh, ID, uh, and it says invalid, uh, invalid. Yeah. And so if you are not yeah. genetically modified, you're an invalid. Where if you are genetically modified, you're valid. And, and seriously, how much more pointed can we get? I mean, don't, don't most, of, most of us want to be validated? Don't most, most of us want to feel valid? And um, that's where a lot of us fight with our own uh, self-worth. Yeah. So. Well, and I also find it kind of funny that in the advanced society, they still have the police are stupid jokes. <laughs> like this guy just pulled off here. But, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, 
I did pick up on that, and that's actually what you're talking about. The, the, when they were saying invalid, um, because they say valid and invalid, um, and when they say the line, it actually it sounds forced in their pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that they can get away with that because of the style of the filming, because it does feel like, like I said, it, 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 it feels like you're reading like a science fiction that was written in the 30s or 40s and, or even the 50s. And not necessarily governed by the rules of political correctness of today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you have this thing where it, it doesn't feel forced, even though the way they say it sounds very uh, forced, very scripted. Yeah. And, and so when there are things that, and I think that's one of the things with, um, with a lot of movies where we try to make things super realistic and super believable. I heard this kind of critique with like the Batman movies mm-hmm. with the, the, um, uh, Christopher Nolan versions that a lot of stuff did seem so realistic that whenever there was something that was a little bit of pushing the limits of what was physically possible, those moments felt forced where this, even when there's something that feels out of the ordinary, like you feel like the style of the movie already draws you out of where you are and makes you see what's going on in the movie's terms versus the way other movies approach it. Oh, Right. Well, that's I mean, that's the role of art is not to allow people to continue to see the world their way, but to force them to see the world our way. Uh, Uman Thurman uh, here, she's starting to emerge as the love interest. Ethan Hawke and Uma are having this this conversation. Uh, the uh, character's name is Irene Cassini. Who Cassini was the Italian uh, astronomer who discovered Saturn's moons, which is where Ethan Hawke's character is trying to get to. But both of them actually have, and I thought this was very interesting, they are predisposed for a heart problem. Mm-hmm. And this is what um, disqualifies them from being part of this program. Um, but think about that. It's a heart problem. Mm-hmm. Not, um, not anything else. That, but but and when we think about that in, in spiritual terms, not just physical terms, and, and the metaphor that's contained in there that you are predisposed not to have the right heart or a heart that could malfunction. Uh, that's all of us. That, yeah. that, that's just, it, it, it's, it's us. And so um, she's accepted that this is her condition. Uh, one, uh, I read a, um, I, I read one review that actually said in the production notes, it said that she's the kind of person who would lay down and just die because you know, she'd reached that point where the genetic testing said this is where you should die. Mm-hmm. And this is where she begins her, her journey is that she was, you know, she's invested in the system mm-hmm. and she believes it and she has let it define her. Well, even even uh, later on, um, Vincent tells her that, um, you know, she's so obsessed or she's been told so often she needs to. Uh, looking for the flaws that that's all she sees Mm. and that i thought was a a great uh conversation between the two of them well i love the scene that just happened where she she pulls out a hair and gives it to him and and he doesn't care what the genetic test say says he 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 Mm -hmm. says the wind must have caught it 
which is a great play on words. And I don't even think it was intentional because the wind there in Hebrew and in Greek, it, it's <laughs> also the spirit that the spirit must have just took it away and that he's actually able to see her and yeah. not what the genetic printouts say. And um, you know, how often does someone actually see her? How, how often does anyone see anybody else in the society where it's all about what your blood work says? Well, yeah, and, and Jude Law even, uh, Jude Law and the, I can't remember the broker uh, who, who set them up. Basically, they both mentioned that. It's like, no one's going to actually look at your face. And Jude Law iterates that, reiterates that many times through the film, just that your people aren't looking at you. As long as you can pass a blood test or, you know, a urine test or whatever, they're not going to look at your picture. Well, you, you know, earlier today we recorded the episode uh, for Faith and Other Oddities and we were talking about Hagar and how she says God is El, Elroy, the God who sees. And mm -hmm. she's the God who saw her and she realized that he's watching her and she has seen him and the importance of, of seeing and being seen and how significant that was to actually her finding her peace and her place in the household of Abraham and ultimately within the, the future of the world. And so, you know, this is an issue that isn't just futuristic. It's a, it's an issue that's ancient and all humanity has been wrestling with it for so long. Yeah. And so I think this movie really forces us to look at it. Are, are we progressing as a society? Or are we regressing as a also, society? I was thinking earlier when you were talking about the architecture and um, the uh, the smoking and the drinking and the you know the Studebakers versus the electric cars and all of that, like you're seeing all of these different decades represented. That it's kind of like, oh, we've been asking this question forever. Mm -hmm. It's just framed in genetics now, you know, like mm -hmm. just the framework of where that question's being posed has changed, but the question is the same. No, I think you're right. I, I, I think you're absolutely onto something. And that's the reason why I love movies is because they allow us to ask these questions in new ways. And maybe by asking them from a different perspective or perspective or a different angle, we can actually kind of come to some sort of new understanding that maybe we wouldn't have seen if we're still in our own comfort zone and asking it from the perspective that we, we like the best. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. And we're back to the exfoliating. <laughs> yeah. And Baby I love how soft. the, I love how the, uh, that scene ends with uh, Jude law saying, <laughs> Can't you just stop dropping your eyelashes? How can you be so careless? You know, it's like, you know, just that that smug, uh, indignant uh, tone that he has. But have you noticed that the incinerator door and the shower stall door is exactly the same? Uh, no, I think that's not the shower stall. That he goes in there to his, he exfoliates in, in the, the incinerator. Shower. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then... okay. So what I was thinking actually is even more pointed. It's the idea of totally destroying yourself to fit in. Yeah. So, no, literally, he goes to hell every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> but, I mean, we, 
we do that. I, I think when we abandon who God's created us to be, when we abandon the fact that we were created in his image and that there is value in that, I, I think there, that's a certain type of hell. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, not to put too high a value on humanity, but at the same time, we are the most crea- precious among creation. So, you know, those two things operate in tension with each other. And Jude Law's getting a peek at Uma Thurman there. And that sounded way more than it was. Uh, <laughs> he's looking down to see her he sitting in the, the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting in the car. And this is where we have to have our resident um, piano expert explain to us the significance <laughs> of this scene. <laughs> yeah. Does it take 12 fingers to play this piece? Uh, no, no. To my, to the best of my knowledge, you wouldn't, you can play that piece with 10 fingers. <laughs> I mean, if you can play Rachmaninoff with the size of hands that I have, you can play that piece with 10 fingers. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying there's factual errors. Fa- factual errors in this movie. Yes. At least, I mean, at least one. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't remember the detective's name here, but I, I loved him uh, many years later in Get Smart. Hmm. <laughs> That's where it was. I couldn't place him last night. Yes, oh with Steve Carell. Funny <laughs> movie. Very funny Which movie. our daughter often gets confused with Date Night, which, which she's she is, not seen. But she's seen the cover and she thinks on that the Date Night is Get Smart. And she's like, I want to watch that. Because she like, sees nope. Steve Carell on the spine of both of them. <laughs> I'm like, nope. Nope, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> and here uh, in this society where everything is so meticulous, Jerome can't even be Jerome. You, you know, he, he's having to actually cover up and make a, make a story for why he can't walk. Uh, he can't just say, hey, you know, I was in an accident and I can't walk now. He, he's, he's having to um, make it sound temporary. Mm-hmm. And so he can't even be himself. And I think that's, you know, the flip side of all of this, where everything is supposed to tell you exactly who you are. At some point, it goes overboard and you can't be who everybody's telling you you are. Yeah. Yeah, and what one thing that um, I kind of in, found interesting about the technology because earlier, Mick, you asked about like kind of the the security cameras, and one thing that I also noticed is there's a lot of low resolution screens, and there's a lot of uh, manual work on the computations, and so it to me it kind of seems because of course this was in the '90s, so I mean think about like. What your computer in the 90s could do. Right. I mean, not even a fraction of what you could do on your smartphone, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're looking at here is genetic engineering got so good with um, that, that people were doing computations in their mind so quickly that they didn't have a need necessarily. I think that's what they're trying to play at, that they didn't have a need for these incredible supercomputer processors. 
And so I think that's part of the reason that you see like very little in the, in the technology advancements. Well, and a lot of this movie is about the fact that humanity has become so great that that's really what boils down to. It's not so much about technology being great, but humanity itself is great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the things that kind of sets it apart from other movies because we're, you know, like we're, we're Star Trek fans. Yep. In Star Trek, you know, you've got these great scientific ad advancements, but huma humanity is still essentially humanity. Sure. There's not a whole lot of changes, but here in this movie, uh, the, the changes aren't with the computers and the, the what have you. The only thing that's different is the DNA testing and processing. And that's supposed to help people understand, you know, uh, understand who they are a little better mm -hmm. and so we've got this checkpoint i mean and the, the things he's going through he has his take out his contacts um he doesn't want to be swabbed uh because you know obviously that's going to give him away uh but he does have this uh super stealth way of a pinprick on his finger to draw the blood mm -hmm. Uh, which actually is Jerome's blood uh, that's been concealed in a like a wax or silicone kind of covering. So, um, and of course they don't check her because they aren't looking for a woman because they don't expect a female killer. Uh, only men have uh, the propensity to violence, and which which is kind of interesting, especially if you're looking at genetic modified race. They're still they still haven't really got that weeded out well and they think they do because i mean, remember the director of the not the director but the head of the well by and large maybe the popular messages that they do which actually kind of plays on uh look at you know look at us look how advanced we are yeah, like we tend to do in society mm -hmm. but it's like look what our video games are look what <laughs> look what our movies are about they're all they're all about violence there was actually a movie, a uh, sorry, game on my iPhone that came up the other day as a suggested game. Uh, try not to shoot yourself, and you were trying to shoot an opponent, and but your bullet ricocheted and would come back and hit yourself. And I'm like, this is really a game that people play. <laughs> it was kind of. It was, I call that life. You point I mean, your fingers, not, not, you got four pointing back at you. I'm not saying I'm Three. suicidal. I'm, I'm saying like trying to... Oh, that sounded worse than it was. No, I'm saying like... Um, try not to harm yourself try, in the yeah, process like, of living. Like, try, yeah, try to, try to formulate a plan to move forward and, and don't like trip over your own feet kind of thing. Well, speaking of tripping over your own feet, he's trying to cross the road here and his, his contacts are gone. And... He he does this blind, so he can be with her. Yeah, you know, it, it, that's huge, and it it's they kind of that's probably the tensest moment in the movie. I think, uh, maybe not the tensest. I I think maybe uh, when when Jude Law's climbing up the stairs, that might be a little more tense. That was agonizing for <laughs> me, but this this one actually, I guess, because I do have you know, I always wear contacts. And the idea of being blind in traffic freaks me out. So, how is our vision so different? Oh, you got the good genes. Uh, somehow, sorry. <laughs> like I don't, I don't wear glasses at all, and somehow you've worn glasses for so, as long as I can remember. 
almost as long as I can remember. So, and a lot of people don't realize that because I've, I've gone, done contacts for, for so long. Um, so I've been, this is totally non sequitur. Reel us back in. Um, Sorry. Well, I don't, I don't know if this is, I don't know. I've noticed, <laughs> like, rarely do you see someone smiling. Like, Uma and Ethan, when they're together, sometimes smile. Sometimes Jude and Ethan crack a joke. But, like, I don't know if that's, like, the tense environment of, like, NASA or whatever this space, you know, like, mm -hmm. the high level of stress in this particular environment. But you would think with the, uh, like, everything being peachy keen with your genetics and your you know, like, what? wouldn't you want to build in some, like, happiness or joy or yeah. enjoyment of no, life? That... I'm just like, the only time you really see someone smiling or joyful is when um, Vincent's mom, you know, has her, what did they call him a love child or godchild? God godchild. godchild. It's like, that's the only time that you really see someone happy. Yeah, that, that, that makes know. a lot of sense. That's actually, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on that. Um, I hadn't either. No, that's a good, good observation. Because I mean, really, when the 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 goal becomes what's best for humanity, and it mm -hmm. stops being about what makes a person happy. It stops being about the pursuit of happiness or mm -hmm. the individual. Or yeah, which yeah, and and so uh, well, that's, and that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily. I mean, I don't know if the pursuit of happiness necessarily, but even just like a bit of enjoyment in your yeah. life, you know. Well, like yeah. Well, no, it's kind of funny because you you enjoying talk... your pursuit of excellence or no? Because no, I was I was thinking about it though because a lot of because you're talking about like this this idea of being a, amongst a bunch of specialists in this environment. Most of the people I know who are into IT or engineering have really vibrant senses of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was the it's only a nice way to say warped. But, <laughs> um, uh, I'm kidding. I've got some friends who are in that. <laughs> so, I'm but, um, nerdy. Sorry. <laughs> but no, uh, the the only what I was trying to think actually of 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 groups of specialists represented as having senses of humor or not. The only thing I could think of off the top of my head was Parks and Rec. Um, when when Ben went to work for the the accounting group. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. Now, I will say this real quick. This guy right here, the one who's getting ready to take his blood, he is probably the most human of the entire yes. movie, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, the, him and the, the older um, investigator, the two of them seem seem very human He's to me. He's the unsung hero. Yeah, he's he's very Yeah, the older investigator he seems he seems like he's the one that he's like he's seen it all, you know, he's been through the He's like, the grumpy old man. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean I think he he like I, I, I get the like the feeling that like he was around before all of this technology and all of the modifications were around. So he mm -hmm. remembers how it used to be and mm -hmm. still has a sense of there's more than just the he um, he hasn't bought into test. it. Yeah, it's like I want the I want the test done, but I want blood from the vein. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he's realized, hey, your systems can fail. Yeah, and, and he's very realistic about that. Where uh, the younger investigator, who is um, Anton, 
uh, I know we haven't revealed that yet in the movie, Spoilers but there's again. Yeah. He, um, <gasps> there's a smile. <laughs> The, the, uh, he has not he's bought into the system you know he's been better than everyone else just like Jerome has and so um, why should he you know doubt the system and so I think this is actually um, where we hear the the main guy the head of this um, mission the mission head the mission head it, it, that sounds weird um, the uh, chief missioner. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't go making up words like that. <laughs> you can't just go making up snakes. <laughs> yeah, take another look at my profile. I have a violent bone in my body. Yeah. So you don't need to look any further. You don't even need to consider me because mm-hmm. I'm not even human anymore. You know, I, okay, if you don't have a violent bone in your body, I don't think you qualify as human. You, you have progressed to some higher state of being and left us mere mortals behind, uh, you know, <laughs> and good for you. Uh, I, I, I haven't gotten there. Uh, so, again, Jude Law, uh, he's <laughs> he's stockpiling <laughs> DNA. Stockpiling the pee. Something crude. <laughs> <laughs> Was there food gonna, in that refrigerator? I was going to mention yes. <laughs> something about racehorses. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just realized there was food in that refrigerator. Uh, I'm like, Ugh. you didn't notice that last night. I didn't notice that last night. We were watching it. I'm like, surely you'd have your own, like a specialized refrigerator. I mean, I would hope. <laughs> anyway, so. Especially when we toss it in there. Nathan's right? something of a germaphobe if we haven't covered that on a previous podcast. I don't know podcast. if we've covered that on a podcast. Now you know. Now you know. I don't like germs. <laughs> germs are bad. Oh, yep. Take your heart medication with a martini. How about that? <laughs> That's always sound medical advice. That's how we do it. Don't take medical advice from the commentarians. <laughs> <laughs> Not a medical doctor. <laughs> Actually, I'm not any kind of doctor, <laughs> to be clear. The master's highest level yeah. of education master's, here. yeah, I think yep. so. Yep. I've yep. got a couple of them here. Yeah, I'm not one of them. <laughs> two out of three. <laughs> two out of, th- never mind. Um, <laughs> two out of three of us. I, there's got to be a joke there somewhere. I'm just <laughs> trying to think of what it is. You mentioned she's the only one with her hair down in this scene. Do you think that has any significance to anything? I, do I'm just still make trying her to stand out or you know I think part of it is yeah definitely to make her stand out and she's also wearing the nice lame um, dress there that could only be popular at certain periods of time or if you're a Klingon uh, in the TOS yeah and uh but I also think it kind of goes back to she's loosening up she's actually yeah. considering new possibilities well uh, in every other scene her hair is like pulling her face back tight. right <laughs> The the cheap faceless lift there of uh, the that was just a joke about how tight they pulled her hair yeah. up. It wasn't like about and her it, face, and it was very. Uh, it looks like it would break if you tried to move a strand of it. But somehow she pulled one out earlier. Well, this is science fiction. Uh, so. Suspend reality. <laughs> Suspend. You know, oh, there's our second factual anachronism. <laughs> <laughs> two, we got two. This whole movie, only two? That's not bad. 
I find this to be very informative. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to pray for you later. But... <laughs> and, and I love this scene. What I love about this, it reminds me of the bust at the speakeasy. Oh, yeah. It's very 30s prohibition kind of era scene. Uh, the yelling and the screaming and we we're going to run out the back door. And uh, so uh, we see them gathering up all the evidence that that's getting ready to happen in the, the inspector. He is contemplating what all of this means. And finally, after everything, Ethan Hawke's character has to has oh, to make a stand. Proving his genetics right. <laughs> he does have a propensity <laughs> to violence. And Uma's at first, he, 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 she seems to be resistant to the idea, but she's still... Yeah, because he's not exactly dragging her along here. No, she's running with him. In heels, I might add. So... <laughs> she... <laughs> Going back to the research, she must be ovulating. <laughs> going for the rugged man. <laughs> you know, we're just going to leave that alone. Sorry. I wrote a book called Scandalous. Shouldn't it's available on Amazon. Should mm-hmm. anyone care to know more? Uh, so <laughs> anyway. We'll link to it in show notes. There's that heart condition kicking in. But it's interesting which heart condition is kicking in. The metaphorical heart condition or the literal heart condition. Mm. Well, and, you know, I, I think it's interesting, though, that because she she tells him, like, after they stop, she's like, I can't do that. And he's like, well, you just did. Yeah. And, you know, that's and later on. And, and in case we miss it, I want to throw this out. One of my favorite lines in this movie is they're discussing uh, the the inspectors are discussing with the head of the mission. um mission director <laughs> that guy um that i think that's the word mission director. No, the mission director was the one who got killed well the guy the other uh-huh yep. yeah <laughs> that other that other cat the other non-violent guy who we find out a quick killed the aside, other guy. awkward of most awkward film kisses on screen ever okay just have to point that out continue okay so anyway um so just so you know, uh, anyone who watching who's sensitive to this kind of thing, there is a sex scene here, um, but you, nothing, there's no actual nudity. Um, and it's uh, weird. It's weird and upside down. Uh, apparently, this was a legitimate choice by the director to talk about how upside down it was that their relationship was in this world, like how counter to the rest I of the world really this relationship was. felt like this was one of the more strained scenes of the entire movie that yeah. they were trying too hard with it. it no pun intended. Um, it, it just, it felt awkward and out of place. And I know that they were trying to make a point, but it felt like they could have made the point in a better way. I would so, like to have that moving, wall of windows right, right. by the beach. Can we put that on our dream house list? Sure. We're going to have to move far, far away for that. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the retirement. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So anyway, vacation home. uh, If we can afford more than one home, but that's going to be far and away. (laughs) Patreon.com slash commentarian. Anyway, the, uh, no, the, the quote that I was talking about was the guy, uh, they're talking about, uh, people's potential. 
and someone mentioned, well, what if someone outlives their potential? And he says, mm. no one outlives their potential. If someone outlives their potential, it just means we misjudge their potential. Right. And that line just stuck with me for many years that, um, that just this idea that the system could be flawed, the system could be flawed. We, oh, we, people can be overlooked. People can be misjudged. People can, can be better than anyone expects them to be. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your genetics say. It doesn't matter any of that. Yeah, we and, have some uh, side nudity here oh, as sorry. he uh, exfoliates once again. He's just woke up and realized that uh, massive amounts of DNA have been swapped in this exchange, and that's a huge no-no because it could endanger his well-being. Um, so, uh, again, not super explicit, but you just need to be aware it's there. So, Avert your eyes. Stick well, your well, bring apricot them back. Bring them back now. We're done with the nudity. Just yeah. remember to stick your apricot scrub in your purse next time you right. go out for the evening. <laughs> yeah. I'm, do you getting, have a, I'm getting a little slap happy. Do you have an incinerator I can use? <laughs> <laughs> and she's starting to put it together because she's realized that he has scars on his legs. And he offers up this really nice, smooth line that honestly somebody told it to me i would be like oh okay cool i can roll with this and she's showing that she is you know smarter than the average bear and um wait she's a bear she is a bear that's the other thing you didn't know about this movie <laughs> no but <Black> twist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh she she you know basically says hey i know it's a lie and yeah. so has he, t has he said the line about only looking for the flaws yet? Has that come up? You know, I'm not later? certain. But, you know, she's okay. just showing that that's her specialty, you know. It is her specialty, but this looks like so much fun. Oh, my I gosh. That looks like throw up. <laughs> that, looked, that looked fun to me when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. Before my senior year of high school, then it was all over. <laughs> Six flags did me in. I would be on that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That just, yeah. You're, you're the one that needs to you're take still my children about the to... Thing, I'm talking right? about the spinny thing, yes. <laughs> nah. We're going to hire you to take our girls to the Six Flags. roller coasters. Yeah. I will ride the roller coasters with them. Perfect. I love all that. And so um, basically they figured out that um, he is... Vincent is somewhere in the building. They haven't necessarily identified him as Jerome yet. They're, they think that that's possibly him. They're trying to track him down. Uma Thurman, her character, uh, Irene, has said, has warned Vincent, hey, you need to go home. And so um, they're still trying to figure out the old school detective is realizing, hey, maybe some old school detective work is uh what's exactly what's needed and he's putting together another yeah uh, then he old school detectives he does and he puts together another uh, element or to detect. the case <laughs> oh my word he does some old school detecting uh, just in case anybody's wondering we are having to do this after the kids have gone to bed so we are up way past our bedtime so let alone <laughs> the kids a little loopy <laughs> So we're a little slap happy, but uh, yeah, so 
we're starting to see this kind of come together and the the detective has actually asked Uma Thurman to to go with him to Jerome's house and we get you know Jude Law it seems to be like a cat on meth trying to do whatever it is he's doing to us he's exfoliating like with a rake I mean it's raking the skin off the back of his hands well, you know, Vince needs skin cells to put in his keyboard. Didn't you see him dumping those in there earlier? Yeah. Can you imagine? Just sprinkling it on there. Can you imagine trying to um, be someone else? Yeah, I did find. Okay, so. Well, I, 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 can, uh, I can imagine trying to be someone else somewhat. Not to this degree. I don't have that much commitment to anything. Well, and what's okay. So, and what's really interesting, I, 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 I want to hear you what point you were about to make mm-hmm. earlier, but I want to say this real quick. We, we have to realize Vincent did all the stuff Jude Law was, what Jerome was supposed to do. Right. And, and, didn't. <laughs> and, and didn't. But on top of that, he had to get up every morning and rake off his own skin cells to deny who brush he his, was. Die, and, and then strap a bag of pee to his leg. Um, put on fake, put fake blood in his fingertips. Mm-hmm. Put on these crazy contacts, like all this stuff he had to do every single day. And that's. Did, did you already reference the deny yourself and follow me bit? Not directly, but that's <laughs> that's yeah. where you were going. <laughs> yeah. Huh? yeah, I talk about. I really, this is what Vincent's doing. He's denying himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that Jerome is who he should follow. Um, Jerome is not Jesus. No. Uh, but what what is interesting, when I was looking at this movie and I was doing some research, I actually came across this blog about this guy who had uh, specifically, basically he says this is, this is an occult movie, that it's all about demon possession. This and, movie? Yes. And uh, Jerome is basically Satan trying to possess Vincent because Vincent takes on his identity. And this uh, scene going up the uh, the staircase is essentially, you know, Satan trying to climb his way out from, you know, where God had cast the serpent to the ground and had to writhe on its belly. Did the... Did the- <laughs> place you found this article did it have a link to another article about lady gaga being in the illuminati uh, i wouldn't be surprised but uh i didn't necessarily notice that i've actually read that article <laughs> yeah i was wondering if it might be the same guy yeah I, well and, and it might I, okay do we need to be careful about what we're watching sure. absolutely yeah uh do we need to be careful not to read too much into everything that we see I think this is also an absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but we also don't need to like perceive a demon behind every film frame. You know, I, okay. To finish up the metaphor, the way it's typically said, a demon behind every bush. I do believe there is a demon behind every bush. Uh, it's not my job to confront the demon behind every bush. My job is to go where the spirit leads me. And like the Holy spirit, the Holy spirit and uh, you'll notice Jesus didn't confront every bush he met. So, um, you know, that's just, we need to follow his example when he, he moved when God told him to move. Mm-hmm. And so watching sometimes these movies, um, I don't think this one's a cult, honestly. I think this is actually posing some really valid questions, especially for the time we're living in. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes watching a movie just helps you be aware of the issues in your own culture. We live in a culture that is evolving. It's changing. Uh, and we need to be very, uh, we, we need to be informed. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul even tells us to be ready with the right answer in the due season. And that we, Jesus says we need to be wise as serpents. Uh, as gentle as doves. And so these are things to strive for. Uh, ignorance and naivete are not the same thing as innocence. Right. And Absolutely. Yeah. So we can be innocent and still be well-informed. And sometimes we're well-informed through movies. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is so we can have these conversations that movies lend themselves to. And... Ah, there's the thunder. I'm kind of wondering if that's going to come over on the mics, but uh, <laughs> we're it, watching a bit of uh, storm coverage before we started recording. Today. Yeah, I, th- I think we're safe. Yeah, we're in Oklahoma, so it's always dicey whether or not uh, the storms are going to hit us or not. And particularly in April, May, June, <laughs> July, 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 August. <laughs> Wait, let me finish. <laughs> September. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's basically true <laughs> and so um the detective has just found out that the case has been solved it's been solved with dna evidence so it's irrefutable because the system says it is uma thurman has played along she's helped with the subterfuge and uh jude law's character uh has got to be himself for just a moment and you can see the heartbreak that you know, this he could have had a girl like her. And I think there's something in her that he admires and realizes that she's out of his league, not because the genetics are wrong, but because he gave up. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is like a lot of what uh, Vincent does at Gattaca is he does a lot of programming. Uh-huh. He does a lot of calculations. Mm-hmm. A lot of what he does has nothing to do with whether or not he can walk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and then the fact that Jerome walked in front of the car himself mm-hmm. uh, and he chose to try to take himself out. And here we, here we finally have the confession and he, he acknowledges what he is but he also denies being what he's being accused of. And I think that's really important. This is who I am. Yes, I'm flawed. Yes, I have problems. But I'm not a murderer. And, and you know, what a picture of, of balance. Because I think we have a tendency to go, either I'm a horrible, awful being and, and messed up creature. And we don't draw that line of accepting what doesn't belong to us or we we just reject everything Mm -hmm. well and it's kind of that idea of being able to separate someone's work from their flaws Mm -hmm. and you know we in we see that all over um particularly when we talk about people of the bible uh you know the 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 you know You look at the Old Testament, it's full of people who are flawed. It's full of writers who are flawed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The New Testament is even the same, you know? (laughs) Right. But wait, there's more. Yeah, (laughs) you just have all these characters who who have problems and struggles, 
and you know look at look at Paul and what he once did and then what he achieved. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about Paul. He he accepts what he did, but he doesn't go beyond that. You right. know, it, it, he's like, okay, this is where the line is, and and this doesn't make me a great human being because I didn't cross that line. But this is just the truth, and God can still, um, God can still redeem this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but back to the movie real quick because here they've arrested the the murderer. Um, they found out that it is the head of this this um he's, entity he's not the mission director he's not the mission director we gotta come up with a better title we're almost done forget it anyway <laughs> this dude who's in charge of everything he was supposed to be so genetically inf- superior uh with is no ca- predisposition well, to violence yes he's the murderer why because someone stood in the way of his vision uh-huh. Well, and, and no, it, what's funny, I say funny, but not funny, haha, like funny, interesting, uh, is that even though the murder was solved, the murder is solved proving that the system works, quote unquote. Right. But the murder is solved by proving the system doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like it's, it is, but it isn't. The, the guy who's supposed to be nonviolent uh is the murderer he crushed a guy's head in with a computer keyboard <laughs> okay and the thing is you got there's no weight to like okay that was a i mean even 1990s computer keyboards were not that heavy <laughs> you've got to have some mass so there's some inertia if you're gonna hurt someone's head either that or you are super what Matt, I feel like you've thought about Hacked this off. too. Uh, too much. I, was say, I was gonna say super strong, but yeah, Mickey like looked at me like, whoa. Like, <laughs> um, so, what does your genetic test say about violence, Nathan? <laughs> I'm just thinking of it from a, a physics standpoint. <laughs> like, you know, you got to have follow through. I actually, um, I had a, uh, one of my managers was really into boxing, and he was talking about like, you know, yeah, you have to have something to pull your punch through. And that is when you aim to punch somebody, don't aim at their face, aim at the back of their head mm-hmm. via their face. Right. But that's where your fist needs to try to go. And so, you know, like you have to have some weight on whatever is, is going ahead. Keyboard's not that heavy. So you got no assistance there. So you have to be really strong to really hurt someone or just that badly with a keyboard. Really mad, but... Uh, yeah, we're. I, actually- I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where the movie breaks down for me. I guess. <laughs> but, no, but there. Okay, so one of my favorite lines is now we have Anton and Vincent. They are um, confronting each other, and I love. I, I don't even know who says it at this point. Are we brothers? And, and you know, that's really the crux of the movie. Are are we really brothers? One is is a child of God, a, a God child, a, a degenerate, uh, an invalid. One has been genetically engineered to be valid. Can can they be brothers? Right. And that that's such a foundational question. Can can we be brothers? Mm-hmm. And well, and I I think that's a very it, it's very timely, especially when you think about the. The God child being a child of God and looking at as to be the identity of a Christian or someone who believes in the Bible. And then you have that, you know, and this is, again, not not to get too political, 
but you have the very uh, progressive political crowd going, we, you don't, you don't have an opinion or you, and, and even the church saying that back to the, the political mm-hmm. left um, at times saying you don't have an opinion because you're not one of us. Right. And so it really, and, and it's, you know, it's not quote unquote genetic, but it's about identity. It, it really, well, it's about spiritual genetics. I mean, and even the movie kind of hints at that because he's born through faith. His mom put faith in God mm-hmm. to give them a child. And so even the movie goes back to the idea that if you're born in faith, that you might be crippled somehow. You mm-hmm. might not measure up. And I think that's how society views a lot of Christians. But also, well, you feel like you were saying the flip side, that's true. That Christians view everybody else as not being good enough too. Mm-hmm. So where do we find that common ground? And I I think that we need to be able to have the conversations and love each other enough to well, even as this scene here, this is kind of apropos that, you know, they're they're in chaos. Uh the sea and water is the symbol for chaos. Mm-hmm. And can they help each other? Right. And Ultimately, I mean, yeah, of course, um, our hero of the movie uh, saves his brother. But are we willing to do that? Because, I mean, honestly, I think I know some people who claim to be Christians who who wouldn't. Right. And I'm not even talking about somebody that's not a Christian. They wouldn't even save another Christian. Uh, so <laughs> that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nope. I've, I've not seen to be that. too real. Yeah, but no. I mean, but but there there are those those sects of Christianity that if, that if you're like you're not a part of this sect, you must not actually love God. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, to take it even a step farther into the extreme, but well, uh, okay. So here uh, we've got to pause here because here's here's a line that's a part of you know, a major part of the mythology of this movie. Uh, they've swam out. This is their game. Chicken, how far can they go? And um, the genetically engineered son, he's he's struggling. And he's going down uh, under the waves. And, the you know, um, Vincent tells him, you know, the secret is that he never saved anything to get back. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he kept pushing for as far as he could he could go and that's that was the secret to his success and uh there's a great uh jack london quote uh it's better to be ashes than dust and that's kind of uh you know what this comes back to or uh you know the song out of the blue into the black is better to burn out than fade away uh so you've got he this is what vincent has committed himself to do Mm-hmm. It's better. It's better to burn up than than to just fade out. It's like that Stephen Curtis Chapman song, "Burn the Ships." It, it really is. Stay. Yeah, I can't remember the rest of it. Yeah, burn the burn the ships. Well, and that goes back to you know the Spanish conquistadors, and well, that was what the song's about. Uh-huh. Uh, well, and it goes back even further to the some of the Romans and the things they were doing. So yeah, well, and you know even even those who didn't burn the ships oftentimes would use the lumber to build their dwellings mm-hmm. which uh, is probably a wiser use of the wood probably right? probably better <laughs> i guess what time of year are you getting there or where you're going sure so <laughs> <laughs> we took off from plymouth and landed in plymouth um <laughs> so she emma's gonna uh-huh. do 
the favor for him now that he offers to give her the the hair so that she could see who he quote unquote really is. And she lets the wind take it. Yeah. It's a great shot of her, by the way. Her eyes like like just the colors con her mm -hmm. the, the color of her eyes like just contrasting that background. Which is something to be said for this movie because she doesn't look hot through most of the movie. <laughs> I mean she doesn't look fully Uma in this movie. Fully Uma. Fully hmm. What is yeah. what is fully Uma? Ah, uh, now you're asking me to think of another movie with Uma in it. Talk about that off mic, I guess. That's the brand of exfoliant Ethan Hawke's been using all throughout. The <laughs> show. Fully Uma. Is that why she doesn't look fully Uma? Because he's got the he's got all of her product. The, um, he's used enough of it. It, it's, it does just kind of it's just kind of weird seeing him look so young in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, because. I mean, he he is such a popular actor, and Jude Law as well. I mean, this uh, for all of them, this was kind of like their their first major movie to to get their attention, you know, to be brought to the attention of the American audience. Even though it was a box office bomb, uh, it did yeah, not it, do it was, well. It was very poorly received at the box office. But um, this has been one of my favorite movies, and and I remember being fascinated and wanting to see this movie from the moment I saw the first preview. I wanted to see it, and it was one of the few movies that was like that where I wanted to see it from the first preview that I was not disappointed with it when I saw it. That's saying something. Because we were talking about it, you're surprised I'd never seen it. Right. And then we got to looking at the dates, and actually my uh, oldest daughter was born in 97, so I was probably just like mom brain zoned out at this point. Yeah. So which means I probably first saw this on VHS. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I love this line. You lent me your dream. I you I gave you my body, you lent me your dream. Uh and how big is that? That I mean what a concept to be able to lend somebody the dream because this is really the first time that Jude Law's his character has had to really invest and work at making something happen. And he did, and he did it successfully. And, you know, there's not a gold medal at the end of this, but there is, there's triumph. There's, there's, there's victory. And so, um, yeah, and I love the planets, uh, on the top of that mirroring mm -hmm. the planet. Like he had his little planet model circling the lamp uh -huh. earlier. Yeah. And so this is <laughs> the unexpected urine test. Like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> well, I got more of a laugh of that than I expected to. <laughs> well, he's like he he's already like confessing. He 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 knows this is like it. And he he's babbling on and this guy's saying, hey, my son's not all that they promised. Well, I love that. Also, this is a mutual confession. Uh -huh. Like both of them have this confessional moment. He's in a booth. Right. I mean, <laughs> it it's framed up in and just the there's 
the the confession of Ethan Hawke, but there's also this guy who's kind of like this has this priestly role of who's in and who's out going I've always known yeah. I've known all along and that's that's kind of how 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 kind of God looks at us when we repent and confess he's like I've known all along but I still love you yeah oh you finally realized that you can't hide this anymore yeah <laughs> how cute <laughs> right and, and go on go do what you're supposed to do yeah don't don't let this trip you up. There's there's more waiting for you. Uh huh. And... No, I, I love it. It's 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 just there's so much in this movie you can draw out of, and I, I think there's so much of it that is. I, I think what appeals to me about this is, you know, don't stop listening. Emily and I were homeschooled, um, <laughs> so um, that feeling like the outsider a lot of times mm-hmm. in my life um and being able to still excel mm-hmm. and and also to do what's important and there are times when doing what's important may not be you may not be told you can't do what's important because of physical limitation but it may be you know like you socioeconomic know, socioeconomic yeah well and like you know Mickey and I made a very deliberate decision about childcare and things where I'm part-time for now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's one of those things where people don't expect that. And so there's some societal pressure on that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that kind of those things, you know, you kind of feel like the outsider. And so I think I've always kind of felt a little bit like the outsider. And so that's, uh, I think that's part of why this movie appealed to me. This sequence here is probably like it is so schizophrenic. Uh, it 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 pulls you both ways. Oh, it's it's triumphant and it's sad. And what you have actually here is it's it's really interesting because you have two men leaving Earth in different ways. It, it's yeah. Also, but it, propelled by the same means. Right. Well, you both have them. You know making that final journey you have them closing the doors you have them accepting what's getting ready to happen and and again yes i know you asked the question why does an incinerator have a switch on the inside Mm -hmm. but that that overlap of the fire one just for liftoff and one for destruction Mm -hmm. it's one one's propelled by it the other consumed by it yes Yes, that's a and, good way to put it. And there's not, then there's, you, you're right, there's not a gold medal at the end of all this, but there is the silver medal still. That has the two brothers swimming on the, on the silver medal. So it's, it's actually very brilliant. And I love the fact that it's not a pretty cotton candy ending. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that he, He's on a, a a year-long mission out here. And he doesn't plan on coming back. No. He thinks this is this is it. And it may it might be. We don't know. Yeah, and I and I do find it interesting they're not in spacesuits. Right? They're in suits. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're in like business suits. And they're going to Titan. Exactly. To conquer Titan. There's gotta be something in that too, right? I'm sure there is. So yeah, it, but I think this movie was just, it was brilliantly done uh, in, in spite of 
how it was received in the box office. I think it forces viewers to ask them really important questions. And I, I think these are questions that uh, even if they don't mean much to my generation or even my child's generation, um, they're going to mean something to mm-hmm. a generation. How far do we go? Can we play God? Is it okay to, to design our children? And real quick, I didn't bring this up. NASA said that this is one of the most scientifically accurate movies that was up to that point. Um, they actually, Sony actually ran a series of ads offering designer children and with <laughs> checklist people um, were responding to them. And finally, um, uh, I forget which, which department scientific bureau or whatever asked them to pull it because, or to do something to indicate that it was fake. Right. Yeah. It was um, kind of like a viral marketing type of campaign yes. before the term viral marketing. Like, yeah. And, and so this, I mean, this movie, um, even today, and there's academic papers written on it and discussing the questions of, uh, are uh, eugenics, is it ethical to, to do this kind of manipulation with human beings? Right. And right. Well, and it, it, it really is a big question. And, and I know that it, it's just, it's disturbing to, to think about it. it because there's, um, it's, what is it? Ghost in the Shell, uh, the animated, the the anime movie. Uh, there's a line in that where they talk about um, they're having a conversation because everyone in that movie is is uh, is enhanced through uh, cybernetic implants, and they have a guy on the team who's not a cyborg, and he's asking you, know, well, like, why am I on the team? Because you've got like a bunch of super powered mm-hmm. cyborg people. And the uh, the major just says, you know, basically all of our parts come from the same manufacturer, except for you, you know. <laughs> and you know, if you over specialize, then you breed in weakness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, to me, I'm like, going, it just it doesn't even make sense um, to try to do that. So, oh, I, yeah. I mean, I've watched too much Star Trek to, to be fooled by their, their tomfoolery. <laughs> well, and, and that, that really becomes one of the questions that's also asked. Who's going to make the decisions? Ultimately, it is the consumer market that makes the decisions on how this technology is used. Right. And so it's not done on the basis of really what's right and good or beneficial. What is your preference? So if your preference is tall blonde-haired, blue-eyed people, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to wind up with. And then what happens to the, to the diversity, like you were talking? And, well, what, and what happens to the family who someone got drunk and filled out the form at midnight, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's all kinds of questions. And, and I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also, you know, we talked about the, um, you know, the deterministic factor. Mm-hmm. It's not that we get to determine it. It's, it's whoever programmed your stuff gets to determine it. And, and you know, there, there's, there's talk and I don't know how close this is, you know, there, there, there's talk of, of brain implants that you can learn anything instantly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, well, who's going to go for that? Because you don't get to learn anything. No, you, you get to learn what the manufacturer decides you get to learn. Right. Right. Well, and I think Mickey actually hit it on the head earlier when she was talking about, Nobody smiles in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we are creating this new new um, generation of people who are bigger, better, stronger, faster, are they being created to have a full human experience of life or are they being created to uh, like tools? Mm-hmm. And what kind of quality of life really is that? Right. Well, and it's mm-hmm. the brave new world thing. Right. And, it, and I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I love the meme that says this was not written as a manual. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. um, but it, yeah, it, and so really, it is. You know, we we stop trusting God, and we and, and it really, you know. And here's kind of the thing: is if you want to parallel it really hardcore to the the early cultures, it's ancestral worship. It's becoming the ideal of what the person before you thought you should be, mm-hmm. as opposed to trusting who God says you should be. That's a really good point. That, that really is. And on that, we should probably wrap it up. If yeah. we want to end it on a lighter note, I just saw in the um, in the credits, Maya Rudolph was the delivery nurse. What? Yeah. Is it Maya Rudolph? Yes. And I looked it up. On, on, if, it's the if, same Maya Rudolph? It's, if IMDb is correct. I just was like, what? Oh, I love her. She's awesome. I have to watch that scene again just okay. because okay, we so love her. Who's Maya Rudolph? Put me in. Uh, she was on a, some SNL stuff. She's hilarious. Okay. She was in, um, what was that? Take Take Me Away. Away We Go. Away We Go. Away something <laughs> about Away. Away We Go with And she was Jim. in Wine Country. And Wine Country. More the recently. The new silly, silly chick flick, but it was most enjoyable. Yeah, she's, she's pretty <laughs> hilarious and... Uh, just, just, just uh, shout out to people. Maya Rudolph. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did see wine country. So I'll have to, you'll have to point her out in the lineup for okay. me. Okay. So, uh, before we let you go, if you, if you had fun with us here, uh, on this episode, be sure and check out our other episodes, uh, join us in the conversation. Let us know that you're out there. You can find us at Facebook forward, forward slash the commentarians. You can find us on Twitter forward slash the comments pod. And at Instagram, the Commentarian Pod, uh, or you can just go to RavenCreeksc.com for all, all of the, the Raven Creek shows. Stuff. Yes, and uh, we'd be happy to hear that you're out there, and we want to hear your ideas. Maybe what movie we should watch next. So uh, look forward to hearing from you. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives, of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.